Good morning, High Point. Today I'll be reading from the book of Jude. In your pew Bible, it's page 1864. I encourage you all to follow along. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life, of eternal fire. In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, in most holy faith and prayer in the Holy Spirit, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Amen. Thanks, Femi. It's always good to tag team with Femi, strong reader of scripture. It's good to be with you this morning. Hey, where are you going? Um, my name is Lloyd Biddle. If you're newer here, um, I'm one of the pastors uh, here at High Point. Um, today, we are continuing in our series on, uh, it's called Tiny, but there's really humongous truths in these small New Testament books. Um, so we've preached on uh, Second and Third John. Mike Sparrowsford did that two weeks ago. Um, and we talked about um, standing strong against uh, false prophets, knowing the, the difference between truth and error. Last week, uh, Pastor Nick preached on being a reconciler, how um, Christ is a redeemer, and we join him in that ministry by introducing, by reconciling others to Christ. And so he's a redeemer in a very small way. We participate in that redemption through our witness and through uh, discipleship. We participate in that, in that ministry. Good? Okay. And, um, but this week, we're going to talk about Jude. Jude is the a brother of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he, in this letter, you'll note in the introduction, he doesn't make his connection to Christ. He's obviously very aware of where he stands, but he sees himself as a, as a servant, uh, perhaps partly because during Christ's lifetime, uh, whenever we reference his, his, his family, they were, they were non-believers at the time of his earthly ministry. And so I think once he was ascended and, and glorified, they, they just recognized um, what, what the awesome privilege it was to be related uh, to Christ. So Jude is a brother of Jesus. Uh, in this letter uh, are some very important things that are summarized in two areas, in two texts that I'm going to flip through. So two pieces of scripture that I think summarize his main points that he wants to get across to the church. We don't know what church he wrote it to. He doesn't tell us. Scholars have studied and, and can't confirm, but I think his message has great relevance for us today. Jude 3 and 4, dear friends, although I am very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign and Lord. The second chunk that I think we want to consider, Jude 20 through 23, but, as, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So this morning I want to preach on this main theme that we must confront spiritual imposters with authentic faith. We must confront spiritual imposters with authentic faith. I'll be honest with you, as I was studying this passage, 
when Jude gets to the conclusion, I'm a bit confused. Because as you read some of Paul's letters in First and Second Timothy and Galatians, whenever he runs into these false uh, teachers, he takes a more direct approach. He says, you know, don't spend any time with them. You know, I, I objected to them right to the face. So he's very direct. And so as he got to the end of this, I was expecting a similar kind of charge. And all that is, that is very legitimate. I can assure you that if, if, if Nick thought I was teaching falsehood, he'd jump up immediately and usher me off to the stage where there is clearly a place for that. What I think Jude's point is that it's most important in the face of ungodliness to be godly. That our primary defense against darkness is light. And that by living righteously, we can, just like when I came into my office, I came into the building this morning, it was 3.30, flip the lights on and darkness fleed. In the same way, by us living righteously, according to Christ's word, in the spirit, darkness will flee from our midst. That's his point. And so I think what he does in this particular letter is he does three things. He answers three important areas for us. He says, what are these imposters like so that you can recognize them? And then what does the future hold for them? What, what's in store for them? One of the reasons why I think he comes to his conclusion about what we should do is what God does. And then thirdly, how should we withstand them? So let's jump into these. What are these imposters like? I want to say that there's three problems that they have. One is they have this bad behavior, ungodly behavior. Two is they have bad doctrine, bad teaching. And thirdly, they have bad motives, bad behavior. In verses four and in verses eight, it talks about this immorality. In verse eight, it takes it up a notch. It says it pollutes their own body. That, that word is lasciviousness. Some of the translations say lasciviousness, licentiousness. It's all kinds of lust, uh, especially related to our sexual sins, but also how we use our mouths. And these, these uh, imposters that come in are guilty of those sins. He says, watch out for that kind of thing. They also reject authority. And so whenever we see men or women in our fellowship who have a hard time dealing with legitimate authority in the church, that would be a sign for us to watch out for. They have bad behavior. Secondly, they have bad doctrine. The text tells us that they deny that Jesus is Lord. They do that in this text really explicitly by the way that they live. But secondarily, it could very well be they deny that Jesus was Lord, that they, they were looking towards perhaps the Old Testament God and not recognizing that the, the Jesus that came to earth, that died and rose again, was also Lord. They denied the deity of Jesus Christ, and they disrespected angels. And so somehow in their teaching, uh, where the example that is given in text is that Michael, the archangel, when he confronted Satan over Moses' body, and this is in ancient Hebrew writings, that he knew to call on Jesus, to call on God, and not confront him himself. He knew that, that to confront the devil required a stronger power than him. In such a way, the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 2 and 7 that the angels are stronger than us and have more power and authority than us. So to disparage angels is foolhardy and stupid. He says they disrespect angels, and then they have bad motives. Their motives are to draw people after themselves. 
And so the attitudinal sins that they commit are related to that objective. They were, they're trying to get their own fellowship. They're, they're not interested in followers of Christ. They're interested in followers of them. Now in this sermon, I'm not going to use too many examples of modern ministries because it's dangerous. Because I don't know. I, I just can see certain signs. I can't tell with, with clarity, but I can see certain signs. So I won't be given examples, right? But you have to use your own godly imagination as you think, as I give this description, okay? They feed only themselves. They see leadership as an opportunity for profit. It's about their income. It's about their prestige. So look after, be, be mindful of very... Um, arrogant, prideful leaders. Uh, they complain and blame. They have to complain about the existing leadership because they need to be in charge. I've got to complain about the existing folks because I'm the person that's supposed to be in charge. So they complain and blame. They boast about themselves. And every accomplishment that they make, you're going to hear about it from them. They boast. They're boastful, prideful, complainers, blamers. And, and, and all of this in their immorality, in their bad doctrine, in their bad behaviors, they divide us. Because some weak Christians, weaker Christians, untrained Christians will follow after bad leadership. And then, then we have a division in the church. So this is what you should look for. Now, the reason Christians must contend for the faith against them is that they, if they're not confronted, they will destroy any and every church. One of the metaphors of the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, we the body of Christ, those of you who, who call Christ your savior, we are to be de totally devoted to him. We are to be mindful of the way that we live. We ought to love and honor and respect him. But when we fall into those sins of bad morals, bad doctrine and bad motives, it, it stains our dress. So it's, in, it's as inappropriate as a, a stain, ketchup stain on a wedding dress is, is this kind of thing. It, it damages the reputation of Christ. And so when we are stained by those things that I laid out before, the reputation of Jesus is lowered in Madison. So we need to be mindful of that. The second thing is it'll destroy our witness. I like this quote, it says, claiming to have moral standards to which one's actions do not conform is hypocrisy. And so one of the reasons why we wanna be mindful of our behaviors, one of the reasons why we're in small groups, one of the reasons why we have people to pray with, one of the reasons why we have spiritual mentors is because we wanna be mindful of our own spiritual condition. I tell you, that's a place where I'm pressing harder and harder in. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Continuously press in, especially if you see areas that are consistently out of place with what we should be in Christ. Let's not ignore it because it'll hamper the witness, our ability to, to bring others to Christ through our gospel message. And, it will hamper that. And thirdly, it'll, we can decimate Christ's sheep. One of the things that's really has always uh, bothered me about ministers who go afoul is when they take advantage of women and children. Uh, 
And this can, I've seen this done sexually, I've seen it financially, and I've seen uh, leaders lead with such harshness that people will leave the church and never come back. They're, they are become wolves in sheep's clothing. We want to avoid that. We want to avoid these kinds of, of, of issues in our church. Now, what does the future hold for false shepherds? There's like a heaviness in here. It's like, oh my God, this is, this is tough stuff. This is meant to be a warning for, for, for a church. This is meant to be a warning for us. So if it hits you kind of as a con- conviction, that, that's probably a good thing. What does the future hold for these false shepherds? Damnation. That's the message we get in, in Jude. What, what he says, the argument is that throughout all of history, when Moses ran into opposers, when certain nations like Sodom and Gomorrah went afoul, he says throughout all of history, when kings went, went, went south on God, think of Solomon and his son. When kings went south, what God would do is he would judge them in real time. And these particular false shepherds are condemned for the worst damnation. They have taken God's true gospel and, and turned it on, the, on its side as to win followers to themselves. I, I would suggest that this is amongst the highest. I, you know, I don't typically rank sins, but I, I think this one is pretty high on the list, this particular sin of false teaching. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved. That's Jude 13. In Galatians 1 and 9, Paul speaks to them and he says to them that they are under God's curse. And Peter says that they're held for punishment on the day of judgment. And so that we serve a God who is extremely gracious and gives us opportunity to respond to his gospel, dies for our sins, lives for our, for our righteousness, but he judges those who reject him, and these folks utterly reject him. So Judas argued that the spiritual imposters have bad behavior, bad doctrine, bad motivations, for these God will ultimately destroy them. So then what about the church? So authentic Christians confront the imposters by being genuine in the faith. Now why is this effective? Why is truth in the face of error effective? What's the benefit? When you're rooted in the truth, you are less susceptible to error. Because you know Christ, you know his gospel, and the blessings of being his follower. I like the way Ephesians 4, 13 and 14 talks about this. It says that we have teachers and apostles and so forth to to build us up in the faith till we come into the maturity of the faith so that we're not carried away by every wave and doctrine. It's the truth and walking in the truth that is the best defense against falling into error. And so as we're training our, our children about things and we're trying to get them established and prepared for college, it's the truth of the gospel that is the best defense against them falling away for the era of humanism and, and other teachings that they might encounter in college. Being rooted is the solution. Because there's two common errors that Christians, that confessing Christians fall into that I want to talk a little bit about. Two common errors, Christian liberalism and Christian legalism. Christian liberalism. It divorces Christian doctrine of love from the doctrine of truth. 
It teaches that loving people means the church has to sacrifice its commitment to exclusive teaching. That is, that there are certain things that you don't do. There are certain things that followers of Jesus put behind. The exclusive teaching of Scripture and call to repentance that all professing Christians must submit to. It says that love is love. And it says that, you know, you can just come, come as you are, and stay as you are. And and that that just isn't the truth about Jesus Christ. The mature, mature Christian won't fall for this kind of doctrine because they know that Christ is full of mercy and grace and love, but also full of justice and righteousness and truth. That to love God is to follow his commandments. And so in our fellowship, we look for a changed life, a transformed life. And uh, our self-centeredness, we lay aside for Christ-likeness. I like the way uh, Nick has really been helping me with this by talking about the routine of of discipline and the, the, the daily disciplines that create substance as a Christian. The daily disciplines that create substance as a Christian. That, that there's joy in the Christian life and duty. The second era, the era of Christian legalism, div- divorces the Christian doctrine of love and, and the Christian doctrine of truth. It does the same kind of thing with a different slant, by suppressing grace. It teaches that total obedience to the scripture and the call to repentance that all professing Christians must submit to is paramount while minimizing the crucial role of the grace of God in salvation and the ongoing life with Christ. So the focus here is that I can do it. It's moralism. It's, it's uh, tr- try harder. It's do more. It's, it's the kind of place that uh, far too often I will live in. It's basing my, uh, my, how I feel on how I perform and also projecting that on to my children. It's that kind of lifestyle. Now, uh, Christians will know, mature Christians will know better to, than to fall into this era. The mature Christian will not fall in this era because they know that salvation is accomplished by the grace of God and it depends upon grace and faith to continue. Uh, w- one of the things that, you'll, that I see when you come to church every uh, Sunday morning, uh, whether Pastor Nick or somebody else is preaching, or in some other folks are ministering, is that there'll be these, uh, these uh, ups and downs of like emotions. Like sometimes we'll come and people will be, you can tell there's just a joy and there's a high energy and there's readiness to go. And then other times there's kind of a little bit of a, a, a lull. And what God is showing me lately is that regardless of whether there's excitement or a lull, God is going to do his work through me. God is going to do his work through me because that's, that's the kind of God he is. He loves us. He calls us. He empowers us in ministry. He's going to accomplish his task. And I need to begin to serve more and more in that kind of faith. And my guess is you do too. So that we're not tied to the ups and downs of our emotions, but we're disciplined knowing that we are accepted and we are beloved in Christ. So effective ministry here takes place through a human vehicle who is living under the lordship of Christ 
and ministering by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of maturity that we seek. So authentic faith can keep us from error. So what is real faith comprised of? Here's my synopsis of real faith. It's here in the text. It's the daily stuff that we do all the time in the church. And it's not all that sexy. And it's just kind of funny. I was reading this stuff over and over and over again. And I said, man, this looks just like connect, grow, and serve. This looks just like Matthew 28. This looks just like Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It looks just like the word of God that we continually digest. It looks just like disciplining ourselves to pray. And to pray not for what we want or how we feel, but for, to pray for spiritual things. To pray based on the word of God and on, that we would die, that we would be self-controlled, and that God would thrive. It looks like a commitment to discipleship. It looks like patience with people that doubt. <laughs> it looks like constant patience with those of us who are struggling in our maturity. It looks like knowing when to give a, a, the proper rebuke to a person when they need a rebuke, knowing them well enough to give them a sharper rebuke about what is good and versus what is evil. It looks like going and doing the tough work of finding a friend or brother in Christ who's in deep sin and you know it and bringing another brother or sister in Christ with you to come and talk with that person and encourage them to leave that lifestyle behind. It looks like very committed discipleship. It looks like connect, grow, and serve with one amazing benefit on the backside. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord befall all, all ages now and forever. I don't know what you thought about today's worship set, but if you go back and review the words, both of the gospel songs and the great hymns, you, you were encouraged to know that God is great and God is powerful and that God loves you and that God is, 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 will keep you, that you are justified, you are declared righteous in him that you will enter into eternal life as you persevere in him. And we need this kind of teaching to remind us that it's not about our own power. Uh, as I'm parenting my boys right now and wondering which course they're going to take, I need to be reminded that it's not about my power. I need to be reminded that they're God's children and that he's going to accomplish his, pur his purposes. Yes, I have work to do. But ultimately, I need to depend upon Jesus. I need to depend upon Jesus for my marriage. I need to depend upon Jesus for my preaching ministry. I need all the things that b bother and worry me, I need to turn them over to Jesus because it's him that can keep me from stumbling. It's him that is majestic and powerful and glorious and great. 
That's the God we serve. And sometimes I come into church and the worship team, by rehearsing this kind of scripture in their songs, encourages me and empowers me and keeps me going for one more great day in Jesus Christ. Man, I love the church. I love to worship Jesus. I love the encouragement that comes through fellowship. It helps me overcome in difficult times. And if you look at the news of what's going on in Turkey and what's going on in France, for certain these are difficult times, but Jesus has overcome. He's still sitting on the throne. He's still judging. He's still righteous. And we need that kind of encouragement. And that's what this great doxology, it reminds us that it's not all duty. There's a joy in serving Jesus, and he's already won the victory. He's already won, I just gotta do my part. He's already won, I just gotta do my part. He's already won, I just gotta do my part. I'm preaching to myself right now. (laughs) Because there's a sign in the times. Second Timothy two, three, one through four, but mark this. We shouldn't be surprised by the mess we see the world in. The, from Christ's resurrection, the, the disciples have always felt like they were in the last days. We were, we've always felt like we were in the beginning of the end. They were dealing with false prophets and wickedness then, and it continues to escalate now. It was predicted by the apostles, Jesus predicted it, so we should not be shocked. We should be alerted, we should be busy, we should be stable, we should be getting more mature, but we shouldn't be surprised. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 4, but mark this, there will be terrible times in last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, let this be a checklist for your soul. Let this be a checklist for your soul. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, disobedient, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Man, this is an awful list. This is an awful list of of things. Rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now, come on now. Haven't I hit about one or two of things that you're working on? Come on now, let's be honest. They've got about five or six for me. I know they got about two for you, at least two or three for you. Lovers of God, uh, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. So when I read a text like this, it shakes me up out of my complacency. So this was a really hard uh, text to, to preach. Because you're looking at all these really difficult texts that tell you to stay out of sin and that it's important to be holy as our God is holy. That God, this, this is a text where you look at the justice and righteousness and holiness of God. I don't like those texts as much as I like the loving texts, to be honest with you. Just to be honest, sorry. We must commit ourselves to a continual growth in godliness in the face of continual growing ungodliness in the world. Because authentic Christians in order for us to to confront this evil that we're gonna see more and more in the days to come, and um, uh, Jesus talked about some of these shepherds having more and more spiritual power, that we'll see a display of miraculous power along with this evil. That's the times that we're headed for. In order to confront that, we gotta be more and more rooted. We've gotta be more and more substantial. And we can't just, that's not gonna happen by accident. 
So what do we need to do? We need to get rooted. If you are not, if you haven't accepted Christ, uh, I've preached the gospel to you already today. That there is a God, that he is in control of all circumstances, that he loves you, wants a, a relationship with you, not only now, but also for eternity. That you have sinned against him, but that Christ has paid the cost for that. And that by accepting him, you are acceptable into the beloved. And that you will not only have eternal life, but you will have new life in him today. He promises power to change today and eternal life. That's the gospel. To get rooted is to, to soberly reflect on it and accept it. The second is, thing I want to say is to nominal Christians. Uh, Christians in name only, professing Christians. From time to time, I'll run into people and they'll say, man, I've been coming to High Point for X number of years. And I'll be like, man, I've been here 10 years and I, have, I just have, don't recall seeing you. And some of that is because I'm a bad pastor, but others of that is because, others of that is because you really haven't joined the fellowship. And so I haven't seen you in small groups and you haven't chose to, to serve and you're not discipling and trying to reach others in Christ, and quite truthfully, you're not growing. You're not growing, and you know it, and it's something in your soul knows that you gotta make a commitment, and so you need to get rooted. And so we come and make these announcements about come and join us, and join a small group, and join a ministry, and come to prayer meeting, and, and come and be a part of the things that God has ordained for us to grow in him. We gotta get rooted. And the second thing is we gotta get serious about engaging in discipleship. Now, if you came to Engage and Equip Live, you heard Nick talk about uh, making discipleship part of your everyday, ordinary life, and this is crucial. I'm, I'm gonna reiterate this in the same way, but, but quickly. We, we need to disciple as an ordinary, so let me tell you a little bit about my own experience, and I'll tell you that as I go through. There's a book called Greg Finke, uh, uh, author. I have this book called Joining Jesus on His Mission, How to Be an Everyday Missionary. Oh, it's a great book. How, raise your hand if you're intimidated by evangelism and discipleship. Just, just raise your hand. Yeah, all right, all right. Me too, me too. This book really helps make it doable. As a, as a part of the ordinary course of life. I've got copies, if you, if you ask me about them today, I've got a free copy, you can get one from me. You wanna hear from Jesus, what is Jesus teaching you in his word? What is God saying to you in today's sermon? What is God saying to you in your daily readings? That's the first thing, stay rooted in your word. Secondly, how is God at work this week? Uh, here, here's how I've seen God at work this week. Um, God is using these, these national events to open up spiritual conversations with people about the purpose for, of life and about justice and truth. He's using opportunities in everyday life. That's, that's what I see God doing. What, what are you seeing God doing when you go to work? And in, when you talk to your neighbors about their lifestyle, what is God, what are you seeing God doing in people's lives? Where you can invest, where you can insert the word of God. What is God, what is God doing in people's lives? Talking with people, what conversations are you having with non-Christians? So I just joined a golf league for the first time in my life. Not because I'm a good golfer, I stink. 
but because there was going to be 30 men that I could play with and establish a relationship with in town. And guess what happened in the very first, well, the second time I went golfing? I, I, I invited a guy to church, and guess what? He came the following week. What I want to say to us is that what kinds of conversations are we having with folks that are, don't come to High Point? What kinds of conversations are we having with non-Christians? Are you really, one of the things I've been swearing to my wife, I said, wife, I got to do a better job of just getting to know my neighbors. So call me on that. I know the names, but we need to be involved in the lives of the people around us. Doing good, what good can we do around here? And so Mike Beresford has told you about opportunities, new opportunities that we can serve in our community. What good can you do? And that's why we need to be in small groups, so that doing good is not so intimidating and that you have others that you can serve with. And lastly, this one is really powerful. How can we help you in prayer? So our staff has trying to be intentionally, when you see us in the hall and the elders and you, you give us a prayer request, you tell us about something going on in our lives, we're trying to discipline ourselves to pray for you immediately because we want you to do that in your neighborhoods. Hey, can I pray for you about that right now? Because God will answer those prayers and God can use it as an entree to the gospel. So those five basic things Hearing from Jesus, seeking the kingdom, what is God doing around here? Talking with people, especially non-Christians, doing good in your, in your community, ministering in prayer. Those five things can be the key of, to getting you into discipleship on a regular basis. Because authentic Christians confront imposters by displaying genuine faith in Christ. And being a genuine Christian is not just being a disciple. It's also being a disciple maker. Being a genuine Christian is not just being a disciple, it's also being a disciple maker. And as a body, we want to take that seriously. Two great joys of fellowshipping in our church, I'll close with this. The one is to see newer folks get rooted in the faith. And during the last six years of, uh, of uh, especially of Nick's ministry, there has been a lot of new folks who have not just joined High Point, but really joined High Point, served, uh, connected, served, got and growing in depth in the gospel. And it's a joy to see people for the first time understanding their Bible. Some folks here never clearly understood the gospel and now they're blossoming. Uh, people are praying and seeing God answer for the first time. That's a joy, that's one of the things. But you know what's just an equally good, great joy? Is to see someone who's older continuing to grow in Jesus. Going on the mission field, continuing in humility and love, um, deeply investing in the lives of other people, continually to preciously love their spouses if they have a spouse, continuing to serve when they're single in their 80s and loving on people and being invested and not, not giving up on life, living and serving God beautifully. There's these two great joys that we get an opportunity to see amongst us. And we want to see more and more of that in our lives because that is evidence that we are growing deeper and as authentic Christians, and it's also an inoculation against wickedness and evil. Let us pray.
Dear Lord, we want uh, for those in our community and who come to our church to to come to you in faith, in repentance and faith, and to experience the joy of serving you, not only now, but also the future glory and joy of being with you for an eternity. And Lord, we want to see people grow more and more in the faith uh, through a a faithful dependence on you, a faithful dependence on you that allows us to take joy in ordinary disciplines, a faithful dependence on you that allows us to love each other uh, more and more as we see times get um, seemingly more difficult. And Lord, I, I pray that, that, that this was a sermon that provided some hope, a, a recognition that even though as we see uh, times get difficult, that you have already won the victory, that you've made some predictions that there will be justice, and you've, you've promised, you made a promise in your own blood that you will, you will keep us. And we're confident that that which we've committed to you, that you will keep for an eternity. We thank you because you are faithful to your promises. So bless us, Lord, as we prepare to sing this closing song. Remind us of the joy it is to be rooted in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.